Session three. As a rule, we are supposed to flee from things that can kill us. I would put active volcanoes squarely in this category. Do we have three or do we have five active volcanoes? Does anyone know? Sorry, inactive volcanoes. I think there are three on the other side of the valley. Then there's one mountain really far away, which I think used to be a giant volcano. In any case, they're inactive and that's nice. I heard a story that I think is true, or at least I like for it to be true, that in the 70s, somebody drove up to the mouth of a volcano and piled up tires and lit them on fire to give the appearance of an eruption, which I think's awesome. So someone told me that there are laws in the books that you can't drive up to the volcano mouths and pile tires and light them on fire. If it's not true, I don't care. It's a great story to have imagined happening. Oncoming traffic comes to mind. There's a reason why in Chicago is such a terrifying city, maybe New York as well, for some people to walk around in because cars move so fast block to block. If you get hit by a car, you'll get killed, and this is one of the first things we train our kids in uh, when they're old enough to walk. Careful crossing the street. We should run from things, flee from things that can kill us, that can harm us, that can destroy us. Sexual immorality should come to mind for Christians as well. To Christians in a sexually confused culture of their own, Paul issued this clear order. He gave them a clear plan of action. He said, flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. What do you do when you're tempted? Flee. That is, flee from the dangerous enjoyment of sexual pleasure outside of God's wise design for its enjoyment in marriage. So brothers, this is the question before you in this session. How are you doing at fleeing, at running. Are you good at running? Are you fast? Are you good on a moment's notice to drop everything and run? How are your reflexes? How's your speed? Maybe you're fleeing into sexual immorality, actually. Or maybe you're just thinking about it all the time and so you're already sort of there, lost in the heart. Or maybe you're running but in circles, images and memories in your mind have you trapped in the walls of your brain. Or maybe this whole subject just adds to a feeling of shame as it does for many of us with sexual sin, overt sexual sin in the past, our past. Thankfully, God is committed to our sexual purity. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Christ died to purify our consciences as well as our lives. And this is the grace of God for sinners like you and me. When we see him, we will be like him, but until then, we will run, flee from sexual immorality. That's his command. So what is your plan for the next encounter, the next rub with temptation? What's your plan for the next conversation with a friend, a child, or spouse who needs your counsel? 
Well, here's the blueprint. Run, flee. We recently uh, are getting offices redone. If any of you have walked by the window by the offices and observed the cube farm over the years, I hope that you prayed for us. It's loud in the cube farm. For those of you who have open offices, uh, they're efficient and they're great for some things, but they can be loud. We are having them redone and we are getting doors installed. I'm gonna take a picture of that door and uh, text it to my wife first day that I got it. I like walking in there right now and picking up the plans, the blueprints, I guess they would have been called, the, the design plans for the structure. They're assuming certain laws of physics, certain laws of how the nature of the world works. They are built based on uh, those design plans, assume a certain vision, a plan, but they're design plans, specific strategies, specific directions for getting that thing constructed and done. And so this session is called the blueprint, blueprint for sexual integrity. We're gonna tell us what, we're gonna explore what God's plan is for getting sexual faithfulness done in the life of a still sinful Christian in the world. I'm gonna give you a four-part strategy. It's biblical, it's really hard to forget. It fits on a napkin. It's an acronym, FLEE. How do you spell flee? F-L-E-E. That should be really, really hard to forget. There are some acronyms for fighting sexual sin that I have forgotten, that I forgot five minutes after I read their explanation that I cannot remember. Uh, this one, hopefully you'll be able to remember. First, and by the way, we're sort of assuming a lot of the foundational work we've done in different texts in this talk and so I'll be reading a number of texts, but not all of the ones that I might. First, fill yourself with Christ. The first step in fleeing sexual immorality is wanting to run. You have to feel like whatever you have to gain from indulgence will be fantastically outweighed by the cost. You have to actually want to get away. And this is where a lot of us struggle. We know we're supposed to flee sexual immorality, but we don't want to flee sexual immorality. This is why this is so hard. This is why this feels so helpless. The thing to do is not merely to focus on the thing we're running from, but the thing we're running to, the one we're running to, the one with whose strength we run, Christ we won't take one step away from sexual temptation unless we want to get away. And getting away, the key to it, is being, filling ourselves with Christ. John 3, 6.35, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We'll be dipping out of, in and out of the first few chapters of Proverbs in this talk. Proverbs uh, 9, 17 says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's talking about sexual sin. Stolen water is sweet. It's forbidden. There's something about the forbidden that our sin latches onto. I've heard someone say the most exciting part of an affair is the walk up the stairs, apparently. The forbidden. That's the voice of the ancient serpent promising satisfaction to a hungry man passing by a pretty girl's house, but he does not know that the dead are there, Proverbs will tell us. 
Sexual pleasure can never do it, only God can, but Christ, on the other hand, is satisfaction. So how do we fill ourselves with Christ? We fill our life with his presence. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Fill your life with the presence of Christ by faith. He's the bread of life. He is our life. When he defines eternal life, he defines it as knowing God and Jesus Christ. Make Christ your life. Commune with him in prayer. Dwell in his word. Fill your life with his presence. Fill your heart with his love. In Ephesians 3, we have a beautiful prayer. Paul prays for his readers to know the love of Christ, its height, its breadth, its width, its depth, uh, that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This, this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge filling us with all the fullness of God and being the very key to the obedience that the rest of the book of Ephesians calls us to. He prays for his readers. He prays for us. We need to pray for ourselves and one another to know the love of Christ. Fill your life with his presence. Fill your heart with his love. Without the experience of God's love, Christ's love in the heart, you cannot adequately love your wife as Christ loves the church. That assumes that you know how he has loved his church and you have experienced that love yourself. The key to loving your wife as Christ loved the church is not raw work to exert love. It is immersing yourself in the love of Christ so that it overflows in love for your wife. Fill your life with his presence. Fill your heart with the love of Christ. Fill your mind with his words, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We cannot say that we are wrestling with temptation if we are not picking up the book filled with the words of God, which are life to our soul. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119 speak of the word of God. Fill your time with his people. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another. Which is to say, private Bible reading is not enough for your fight against sin. It is not enough for your Christian life. You need to have the Bible out in front of you when you're on your own and you need the Bible out in front of you, between you and another person, as you read it and discuss it and use it to instruct one another and grow with one another in it. Teaching and admonishing one another with the word of Christ. Fill your life with his presence, fill your heart with his love, fill your mind with his words, fill your time with his people. Don't forsake meeting together as is the habit of some. You get air out of a glass by filling it with something else and you can shake the taste for stolen water in bread eaten in secret by going to the one who offers water that wells up to eternal life. If you're enticed by small pleasures of sexual deviance, turn to the one who offers what ultimately satisfies, which is very much better and doesn't take but only gives.
But however full you are with Christ, you're not the new creation yet. There are dangers here for the Christian. So first, we fill ourselves with Christ. That's F. L, lock out the lies. Lock out the lies. Why do we run to instead of from sexual sin? Lies, I tell you. That's why... Lies about God, about you, about sex, about pleasure, about consequences, and about eternity. If someone says to you on a hike, watch out for that cliff, and you don't want to fall off a cliff, and you believe your friend, you'll take their advice. You'll take their direction. Our problem at base, when it comes to sexual temptation, there's more to it than this, but is a faith issue, a belief issue, a lie-believing issue. Lies about the goodness of God, lies about sex and its pleasure and its consequences when misused, and lies about eternity and a judgment that awaits and a God that we'll face. If a koala so much looked at me, I would run. It's because I know something about koalas. They're cute and they have large claws and sharp teeth and I hear they can destroy you. If I saw a koala, I would run. I might try to kill the koala. Sexual immorality is similar. It looks good, it's cute, it's attractive. But turn with me now to Proverbs chapter seven. Proverbs chapter seven. I'm gonna read verses one through 23, and we're gonna watch a guy who gets himself in a heap of trouble. And he's given to us to watch so that we can learn from him. So men, let's learn from this guy. Proverbs chapter seven, verses one through 23. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had, I had to offer sacrifices and today I paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens and Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves in love for my husband is not home and he has gone on a long journey he took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. 
With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, all at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. All at once, he follows her. This story, a father's account to a son, there are a number of these in the first few chapters of Proverbs, is God's way of preparing you and me for the temptations that come to us in the dark, for the promises of a seductress, for the smells and the appearance and the opportunity and the sense of hiddenness. She plays on all his senses, his eyes, she's dressed to tempt, his nose, she's wearing perfume, his skin, she kisses him, touches him. His ears, she speaks seductive words and compliments him. She promises passionate sex until the morning. She says no one will know and gives him confirmation that it's so. She plays on all his sense, but he lacks enough sense to see that this is a trap. So where did he first go wrong? I mean, she sort of flung herself on him, right? He shouldn't have been there passing by her door in the first place on that street at twilight. Our flight from sexual immorality requires that we lock out the lies that give it power. Lock out the lies, or as Solomon said in Proverbs 5.8, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Solomon does not say, be strong enough to walk by the door of her house you should be strong enough. He says, stay far away from her. Don't even walk by her door. That was his first mistake. So what would that look like for you and for me? When and where are our senses aroused for forbidden women? Where's our street corner? At work when we take a walk across the office by a particular lady's desk, on that site where that woman is, on that job site where that lady is, late at night on the computer in a room where the, the screen faces the wall, we are all vulnerable to the temptations and the appeals and the sights and the smells and the touches and the words of a forbidden woman. And so our first order of business is to not trust ourselves to go by her door. And we need to know our personal neighborhoods well enough to know where those doors are. How can you get away? Well, whatever the cost, remember it will cost him his life not to get this right. It may mean going without a smartphone. We ought to have many Christian men without a smartphone and without embarrassment. No need to explain. Um, it's just uh, too close, way too close. And the security options on phones are not very good. If it is not safe for you to be that close to images and you're crafty enough to know that certain apps have browsers within them that don't trace things, turn it in. It will cost convenience, it may cost uh, a certain agility with your work. You cannot afford 
uh, you cannot afford that device in your hand. Home internet, even. A relationship, a job, it's worth it. Little did he know it would cost him his life. Don't trust yourself. The door is dangerous. Whatever the cost, if it helps you see God, it's a net gain. Let me share with you from an important article. What do Christy Brinkley and T. Leone, that's how you say her name, have in common? Both of them are high-profile celebrities and have international notoriety for their physical beauty. Both of them have also been married to alleged porn addicts. Peter Cook, Brinkley's ex-husband, spent $3,000 on his addiction. Recently, actor David Dunknovi, Leone's husband, has checked himself into a rehabilitation clinic for his addiction. Marrying the next top model will not entice a man away from his addiction. This is because a fixation on pornography is not merely a fixation on a certain type of physical beauty. Pornography addiction is a multi-layered problem. And there's some really, really good sort of science on this now in terms of how the mind works and how the body works with endorphins and chemicals uh, to show the, na- the, the, the enslaving sort of the the biological side of the enslaving nature of sin. Our bodies in their fallen state as we pursue the wrong kinds of things can lock us into a strength and desire for something illicit and more and more of it. This article outlines some things. There are a number of good articles on this stuff, even a book called uh, Wired for Intimacy. A professor, a Christian professor at Wheaton uh, College um, who's got a background in neuroscience, I think, has written a book on the brain and pornography and just a bunch of good research in there. This article addresses some of this. A fixation on variety and novelty. When we experience a new pleasing image or sensation, our, body, our bodies release an extra dose of pleasure-producing chemicals. It's a built-in mechanism that encourages our experience and ex- to explore new things. The other side of the coin is that most stimuli come less, become less attractive to us as they become more predictive, predictable or familiar. So why don't most guys log on, find one image of a woman they find appealing and be done with it? Keep on searching and searching. Why spend hours online? Because it's not just about finding something that sexually stimulates. It's about the search. It's about the options, the novelty and the variety. Another dynamic here is a fixation on fantasy. When a mother first holds her newborn baby or when lovers first hold hands, the hormones, uh, certain hormones are released. I can't read them. Uh, these, uh, These serve as social bonding hormones. When a man views pornography, these same hormones are released along with a soup of other chemicals. In other words, the brain is tricked into thinking that it is having a sexual encounter and doesn't know the difference. As a result, the man begins to literally bond to the pornographic images in a screen rather than a person. When a man has spent considerable time in the world of internet pornography, he has essentially trained his body to respond to fantasy images instead of bonding and connecting with real people, such as a wife. Pornography offers us a world of fantasy rather than interaction, pixels rather than heart-to-heart connection. Another dynamic is a fixation on self. Ultimately, any addiction is a fixation on self. 
The pornographic images provide a canvas for him to paint his personal fantasies. He can picture himself as one of the enticing, these picture-perfect women. Underneath his porn addiction is a deeper addiction, his perceived need to be validated by these women. No matter the underlying motive, the draw of pornography is caused by a fixation on self. For, for many of us here, uh, for all of us, particular sins we have encountered and struggled with and wrestled with have confronted us with the extent of our depravity in ways that shake us and scare us. And this is one that does that for many men. Here's how John Piper puts it. Porn is as destructive to a man's capacities to love a woman purely for herself. He is training his body to need increasingly different strange erotic situations and bodies. And he's making it harder to to be content with the real body of the woman he's going to be offered to him as his wife. A woman needs to be able to trust a man. A woman feels profoundly compromised when a man says to her, no, I really need more than you can offer me. So it is destructive to a man's soul. His capacity to see God and the purity and the greatness of his glory is shriveled. It is compromised. The soul shrinks to the size and the quality of its pleasures. So the pleasure in pornography is real, but it quickly is canceled out and a new pleasure is promised until you're down the road and it's a wormhole. It's fleeting, that's the biblical word for it, and it hijacks and steals other deeper pleasures. No matter what it promises us in the moment, it cannibalizes our lives. So key, key, key to, to getting this uh, uh, over addiction uh, in pornography is believing way down that God is good and that his word is true and that the woman's door is dangerous and leads to death and not trusting ourselves and so setting up locks on those doors. Seduction's voice calls out to those who pass by, Proverbs says, no surprise if you're going her way, her voice gets louder and louder and louder and she becomes hard to resist. We are not a room with some men or lots of men or even a few men who uh, are bulletproof here. If you have not fallen, you very well could. Be vigilant, lock out lies. The woman of folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places in the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. These are ads on the side of your screen. Whoever is simple, let him turn there. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. These verses in Proverbs are God's way of clearing up our perspective and our spiritual vision in those moments. Memorize these words, not merely commands, but all of this God-given warning and rationale and reality. Seduction's voice passes out to those who pass by, calls out to those who pass by, don't pass by. So first step in fleeing is wanting to, which requires ourselves which requires filling ourselves with Christ. F, L, locking out the lies. Keep your set, you're not strong enough to walk by the door. And with these phones, these doors are, they're coming to us. Dangerous stuff. 
Third, exchange lies for truth. Exchange lies for truth. So when you are confronted with a temptation and you are up against an opportunity and it is in the secret and you hear the voice and you smell the perfume and no one's gonna know, exchange lies for truth. Unless we retreat from the world, we're going to encounter seductive lies. In fact, you can retreat from the world. They'll come right out of your own heart and my own heart. So remember, as God gave them up in their lusts uh, of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring passions, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, Romans 1 tells us. Well, as Christians, this exchange has been reversed. In Ephesians, we read this, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, created after the likeness and holiness of God in righteousness, in holiness. In, in sin, we've exchanged the truth of God for lies, but in conversion to Christianity and to Christ, we exchange the lies for truth. And it's the work of Christian discipleship to believe the word of God day in and day out. So what should we do when tempted? Get out the sword of the spirit, identify lies, call them what they are, and correct them with truth. Exchange lies for truth. Here's a bunch of lies we believe with some verses for you. And corrections. God is not stingy, but good. These are corrections. God is not stingy, but good. Deuteronomy 10:12. God says, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in his ways, to love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. God's commands concerning sexuality protect wonderful gifts for you and they follow from the good heart of God. Another one. Sinful pleasures are not filling but fleeting. They're not filling, but fleeting. Hebrews 11, 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. Fleeting pleasures, he identified them. Another one, people are not objects, but image bearers. They're not objects, but image bearers. Now you might, you might say, of course they're not objects, but it may be that your desires are assuming that. Your actions are assuming that they're objects and not image bearers, but they are image bearers. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. Another exchange, this is not private, but reaches heaven and eternity. Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Our sins, our thoughts, our actions are not private. So if for a moment you think that it is not seen, it is seen by God and our offenses are against him. Our sins reach heaven and eternity. The greatest thing that is lost in any of our sins, but in our sexual sin, 
is a broken fellowship with God, a broken relationship to God, a distance from God that follows from our sin, so that when we confess sin as David did, this is restored. Against you and you only have I sinned, he says, and that's after committing adultery and then murdering the gal's husband so that when she had her baby, no one would know. Yikes. David comes to God this way and is heard on account of his steadfast love. My friends, whatever your sin, you can come to God and be heard because of his steadfast love. And if you don't believe it, look to the cross to find out how serious God is about making a place for you in his hearing. He is accessible, he hears, he receives the contrite. Another exchange. God does not forgive us so we can continue to sin. He forgives us in order to free us from sin. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means how can we who died to sin still live in it. He forgives in order to free us from sin. Another exchange, sexual sin isn't harmless, but it's defrauding. 1 Corinthians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. Another translation says defraud. I like that language, transgressing or wronging another person so that our sexual sin isn't just against us. I have a friend, uh, 10 years ago, um, uh, shared this with me. Uh, he was maybe 10 years married at this time. And uh, the marriage bed was a great struggle for him and had been to this point. Before he was married, he had uh, a, a big addiction to our pornography. So that when he was first with his wife, which was the first sexual encounter that he had with a woman, he could not get an erection. He was not turned on. His wife was horrified and never recovered from it and served her husband in the marriage bed, but it has been a difficulty for them and they're a godly, godly couple and grieved by this. I haven't talked with my brother in many, 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 many years, but I'm saying this because men, our erections are not just for us. It's about as graphic as I'll get in this seminar. They're not just for us. Um, Your purity is not just for you. You, if the Lord gives you a wife, are a gift to your wife and your saving and resisting temptation and not call it cheating on her in a way before marriage is a way of giving to her and loving her and affirming her. And in this case of my brother, uh, not my personal brother, uh, but in this brother in Christ who shared this with me, he was grieved, he shared it with me as a warning. Uh, I was a newlywed and I haven't forgotten it. It's an important story. I'm glad he was vulnerable to share it. I would encourage you men to be vulnerable with one another um, about your sins and also about where the Lord has brought you from and out of sin. Uh, Each of us need to hear. My, My own Christian life has been significantly strengthened over the years by the transparency of close friends who told me their stories.
in this area or in other areas. We need to know that we are not alone in the path that we walk, and we also need to know that there is a way out and that God's word does work. Um, The most encouragement in this particular area isn't friends who are also struggling, although we should hold one another accountable and confess our sins. It's a man who is being faithful that we can latch onto and look up to. So if you are walking with the Lord in this area, men, recognize that other men, many, many, many other men in our church struggle with lust of various kinds and with pornography and open yourself up and open your story up one-on-one, not necessarily in groups, not in a setting like this, over coffee, ask a man how he's doing, if you can pray for him and let him know it's okay to confess. Maybe an awkward conversation, many of those would be, would serve our church well to be initiated. I'm glad this man shared with me. Another exchange, it will not be easy to turn back as you have already hardened your heart. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Another exchange, this is not inevitable since God provides a way of escape. Your next sin is not an inevitability because you have a bad track record. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's that word flee again. Another exchange, your past does not define you, Christ's blood does. Some of you feel chained. You identify with your past more than you identify with Christ. Your mind goes there more than it does to what Christ has done for you on the cross. You feel chained and defined by your past. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God. So my brothers, are you embracing lies or are you exchanging lies for truth? You need a mind filled with the words of Christ if you're going to hold up to temptation. We all do, and you can't legitimately say, none of us can, that we are pillaging our mind and heart with the truth if we're not reading the word. We are not ready to exchange lies for truth if we're not in the word. And we may not believe the word works, but often when we don't believe the word works, it's in the context of also having not read it very much and not read it very well and not read it very long. If God is real and his word is true, then he's exactly right. It does work. It pierces to the heart and the soul, it exposes our sin, it convicts us of sin, it brings us to confess, it changes us. Fill yourself with Christ, lock out the lies, exchange lies for truth, and expose yourself to the light. If you fall to sexual temptation, you will be tempted to hide in the dark, and in the dark, our sinful temptations strengthen in their power. The confession is the tool that we use against the dark because confession is a function of light. You're bringing the sin into the light where then it loses its power and you're a little bit stronger. You feel stupid, your pride is hurt, and you're embarrassed, and you're stronger. Stay in the dark and the shame increases and the embarrassment increases and the difficulty in coming to the light increases because your pride is hardened. Confession brings sin to the light 
and light to our eyes so that we can see what we could never see in the dark, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of sin, the glory of God's grace, we find out how dark the darkness really was when our darkness is brought into the light. You can't see how dark, it, how dark our sins are when it's dark, but when our sins are brought into the light and we have to articulate with them with our words, all of a sudden it sounds horrifying. Confession is a wonderful mechanism and a gift from God in helping us fight sin. God is light and in him is no darkness at all, John says. If we say we have fellowship with him or we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Coming to Christ means means coming out of hiding to be exposed. That's what becoming a Christian means. It means saying, I'm a fraud. It means I've been hiding. It means I've been lying to myself. I've been believing lies. I'm backwards. And I've been lying to myself the whole time. The nature of becoming a Christian is coming out of the dark and into the light. And the nature of staying a Christian and walking as a Christian is walking in the light and returning to the light whenever we pass into the shadows. Don't stay in the shadows, my friends. Confess our sins to God, but we also confess our sins, as James says, to one another and we pray for one another. It's what Christian friends are for. You need a Christian friend if you don't have one. A Christian friend is somebody that you can share your sins with, who will speak a word of truth to you, who will hug you, who will love you, who will listen to you, who won't let you stay in your sin, but who believes that God can do a great work in you, who will weep with you, weep for you over your sin. Friends take time, invest in them, eat together, do stuff together, spend time together. And then when you fall into sin or he falls into sin, you're there for each other. And God works. I've seen it happen a bunch of times. Friendship's rolling over here. Something blows up and that friendship is exactly the thing that God uses. Put yourself in the way of Christian men that you respect. Invest yourself in regular coffees, regular lunches, regular conversations so that when you need them, you got them. And when they need you, they've got you. Confession. Heath Lambert offers these uh, six suggestions, statements, and advice for confession. We're only a few minutes away, men. Confess your sin to all who have been touched by your sin. Some of you need to do serious confession. They need to think about what is next for you in following the Lord. Confess your sin to all who have been touched by it. Second, don't confess your sin to those who are not touched by your sin. Third, confess your sin with a willingness to accept the consequences. Fourth, consider confessing your sin to a third party who can help with the response. Fifth, confess your sin thoroughly, not necessarily exhaustively. And sixth, confess your sin without making any excuses for it. You know, it took a lot of guts for that structural engineer to go to the board at Citicorp and say, I think the building is gonna fall over because I forgot to calculate the wind. Uh, on the other hand, they didn't have much of a choice, right? Because the math said one in every 16 years, this thing's falling over and he's probably gonna be alive during it. So part of making confession easy is just actually believing that God sees it all and that he's the one that actually matters. Some of you are in a moment like that right now. 
You know where this thing is going if it doesn't get turned around. Well, recognize right now that God can turn it around, but he uses means and you need to avail yourself of those means and one of those is obedience to the command to confess your sins to one another and ask for prayer. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. There is more than warning in the Bible for those of us walking in sin. And if you're contrite, come to the Lord in confession, seek out a friend for help. If you are hardening your heart, this verse in Proverbs 28 is for you. To close, it's good news that we are not condemned if we're in Christ. And it's good news that we are no longer slaves to sin. Part of the good news of the gospel is that our condemnation is removed and our slavery to sin is removed. We can confess our sins because we have nothing to fear because of our sins. Only what our sins will do to us and the reputation of Christ if we stay in them. So be encouraged. When you run from an exploding volcano, men, that's not a sign of weakness. When you run from oncoming traffic, that's not a sign of weakness. And when you flee from sexual immorality, that is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Your speed your reflexes, and your determination with which you run from sexual immorality is a sure sign of true biblical masculinity. Men flee from sexual immorality. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have heard a lot of my words today, perhaps too many words. It's hard to prepare for these things. I hope that, um, that your words and what they mean and the force that they ought to have and the encouragement that they should bring and the warning that they should bring and the spiritual clarity and moral clarity that they should bring, I pray that it would all land on all of us today. May we be those who look to your word for the moral structure of the universe and believe what you say about yourself, about the purpose for sexual morality, for us, the nature of gender and of marriage and of sex and all of these things. May we live and love by these laws. May you give us a vision for a, uh, a Proverbs 31 woman, but maybe even more so, a vision to be the kind of men who would admire and look for and affirm the Proverbs 31 qualities wherever we see them. Help each of us today in the lives of the women in our lives to affirm them where they should be affirmed and so give you glory and so build them up and make them more beautiful in the process. And Father, help us to flee sexual immorality. Use the means that you use, your commands, your word, your people, and confession. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last page, guys, is uh, something I threw together this morning for you. Maybe write your own questions. You'll come up with some better ones. Do it on your own. Um, this whole, th I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, so you believe in this stuff, but... Um, let's get good at discipleship in our own life and with one another in this area. And uh, it all starts with us, right? It starts with me, it starts with you. So take some time to reflect on what we've heard today. 
and process what it means for you. And uh, flee sexual immorality, walk with integrity. We'll see you on Sunday.